So overcoming the hurts of life, you know, there's a psalm in the Bible, this famous psalm that captures one man's attempt, King David, to really, I guess, move beyond the hurt of his life. In psalm 51, you can follow along also in the handout if you, if you want to as well, either one in your Bible or in the handout. But in Psalm 51, which is what we're going to look at, a broken and a battered King David is trying to honestly and humbly work through what has been, in his case, a devastating self-inflicted wound. And sometimes those are the hardest things to get past. You know, the, the wound that we, we suffer, I'm not, I'm not sure which one is harder. That's something we can, we probably each have uh, opinions around. And it may not be an exact thing, but sometimes the hardest wounds to get past are the ones that we, are, we really have no one to blame. It's just us. In David's case, he had, he had just so messed up. Uh, he, he had a devastating um, self-inflicted wound. He, some of us know the story. Some of us know the account. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But, I mean, what started out as something that seemed to be semi-innocent, just in retrospect, became like this monstrous, you know, kind of cover-up that, that just seemed to just have one step after another. It started with David committing adultery with a wife of one of his most, well, of a trusted, loyal soldier, officer in his army, Uriah the Hittite, whose wife was Bathsheba. David ended up having an affair with her. The king had enormous power, and she was pregnant, and he didn't know what to do, so he, he decided the best thing he could do was try to cover it up. So even though he didn't kill Uriah with his own hands, he was totally guilty because what he did is he secretly set up in the middle of the battle for the lines to be withdrawn and to, to have Uriah utterly isolated, knowing that he would be killed. And he did it. He sent the order. And he thought, perhaps, and then afterwards, Bathsheba's a widow. He takes her as his wife. It seems like, oh, he got through this whole thing. Well, God sent a prophet named Nathan. He has this great parable he tells him. By the end of it, David is exposed. Now, here, we've got to remember, if we think about it through our particular lens, I mean, David, just as an important little distinction, he was king. That meant that he had all the power, all the power. Even today, the most powerful people, you know, we're, and we're having a national debate and, and moving into these election processes and all this about power acquisition and, and the, the role of the law and all these things. But we have checks and balances in, in our nation and, and a, a system of laws that at least attempts to keep things in place. David as a king was unchecked. He could do whatever he wanted and get away with it. He really didn't have to, he, he needed to be somewhat aware of public opinion, but not much. Push comes to shove, I do what I want on the king. But David had an issue he actually loved God. And there was a part of him when he was confronted with the reality of what he had done that, that, that knew immediately, clearly his conscience had, he had been wrestling with it for a, a while. And he knew immediately he was guilty. So what was he going to do? He couldn't go back and change what had happened. He couldn't undo the damage he had done. The only thing he could do was exactly what he did. And again, no one, he didn't have to do it. He did it because he wanted to be right with God. And so he throws himself on the mercy of God. That is what Psalm 51 is really 
flowing out of. This is David's cry. It's very poetic. It's earnest. It's real. It's raw. Let's read it together. Let me just read this through. David says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according on the basis of the multitude. I love this, your tender mercies. I love that, tender mercies. The tender mercies of God. We will all need them. Please blot out my transgressions, Lord. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I mean, he's just owning this thing. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and the truth is my sin is always before me. By the time he's done, as it often is the case with the Psalms, they start with something about God, work their way through a problem, and then by the end they return to God and his goodness. And in this case, it's an earnest appeal on the basis of who God is. He says, Lord, I want to ask you to restore to me the joy of your salvation. I ask that you would uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressor your ways and sinners shall be converted to you and deliver me, oh God, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. The God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips. He loved to sing to God when he was a younger man. Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give that. You do not delight in burnt offering. If it was just about making my offering in the temple, I would do it right now. Because, But I know what you want is something far more profound than that, far more honest. No, he says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. See, a broken and a contrite heart. I know that I, that I know you will not push away. You will not despise that. See, everything I know about you, God, I know that it's not just about me going in and making the religious transaction. What you really want, I'll give that, but what you really want is my heart, and I give you it in all of its brokenness. Now, in this case, when you look at that phrase, broken and contrite heart right there, I mean, you will not despise. That is the cry of a, of really, of a deeply shattered human being who is throwing himself on the mercy of God. The use of the word broken here, do you see it? It carries with it a connotation, doesn't it? What is the, broken in this, you know what's interesting? When he says you, what you desire is a broken, what you desire is a broken. He's implying that what you want from me, what you really, what moves you, what you respond to is brokenness, but it's a certain kind of brokenness. It's a kind of repentant owning brokenness that has a certain humility in it. And if you, look, if you think about it, there's an openness. He, he's saying, Lord, so in a way, he's saying, I, it, it's almost like brokenness here is being used in a positive light because we know that God, what, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus talked about how God is drawn to the broken and the needy because there's an openness or a lack of veneer that often allows for that openness to take place. When we are open with God in our brokenness, God can begin to work in ways that if we were acting like we didn't need him, he, couldn't, he wouldn't work. I mean, this is, there's a power in it. So Because when we throw ourselves on his mercy, we can count on his, his love to come to us like an undeserved gift, which is what grace is. Now contrast David's fairly positive perception of how he uses brokenness as, as out of the context of openness and, Lord, I know this is what you want from me to own this, to throw myself on your mercy. You want that kind of brokenness and I want to have that inside of me. Contrast that brokenness 
what is, with what is being described as we put up this verse in Proverbs 14, 18. And see if you can note the difference between the two. 18, 14. Proverbs 18, 14. It says, The spirit of a man, be a man or a woman, will sustain them in their sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? Now, the first part of that verse underscores the truth that what is most important is often not what is external, but is internal. If our spirit is strong, we can endure things. That, we could spend time just with that concept. But, this, but it's the second portion of that verse that I want us to see coming off of what we just looked at with David. Because the second person, portion of that verse, but who can bear a broken spirit, exposes a different reality by making a contrast and emphasizing what? The weakness of a broken spirit. So in a way, it's saying that this is the, who can bear a broken spirit? Like, like when we're broken and it's not, as in not working right, something's wrong, it's broken. We say, oh, it's broken. It means it, 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 can't, it can't function the way it was meant to. Something is broken. It needs to be fixed. Oh, we broke that, right? See, brokenness in that... Con- who can, and what David... Again, it's almost as if what this statement is reminding you. It's not really... The proverb is not... Well, let's put it away. The proverb is rhetorical. It's making a statement. It's really not, not a question that's searching for an answer. It's a statement. It's almost as if the writer of Proverbs is reminding us of how hard it is to live in love with a wounded heart. About how hard it is to rejoice with others when we ourselves are in deep pain. Who can bear it? Who can be? When you're around that, it, it, it takes its toll. Um, there's a, in your handout, I put this quote in there, uh, but this was from a professor that I actually had a chance to sit under a little bit when I was at Fuller years back. He wasn't, he's no longer with us, but he wrote, this, he wrote a lot of wonderful books, one of which was, I think he was an expert, my personal opinion is he was an expert on forgiveness. And he wrote a book called For, Forgive and Forget. And uh, Lewis Smedes said this, speaking of how sometimes we are broken on the inside. He says, somebody hurt you, maybe yesterday, maybe a life ago. You can't forget it. You did not deserve the hurt. It went deep, deep enough to lodge itself in your memory. And it just keeps hurting you now. You're not alone. We all muddle our way through a world where even well-meaning people hurt each other. That's true. When we invest ourselves in deep personal relationships, one of the risks we take is that we open up our souls to the wounds of another's disloyalty or even betrayal. That is true. Smead went on to say, he said, there are some hurts that we... We can all ignore. Not every slight stick with the, sticks with us, thank God. But some old pains do not wash out easily. They remain like stubborn stains in the fabric of our memory. Deep hurts we never deserve flow from a dead past into our living present. A friend betrays us. A parent abuses us. A spouse leaves us in the cold. These hurts do not heal with the coming of the sun. Now he says this, shifts it to a slightly different angle that gives us a little bit of way out of the intensity. He says, we've all wished at one time or the other that we could reach back to a painful moment and cut it out of our lives. He says, some people, honestly, they're just lucky. They seem to have gracious glands. I love this phrase. Gracious glands that secrete juices of forgetfulness. <laughs> Look, how do you come up with that? All right. They, they never hold a grudge. They do not remember old hurts. Their painful yesterdays die with the coming of tomorrow. But he says, but most of us find that the pains of our past keep rolling through our memories. And for those of us who struggle with the pains of our past, or with a pain, 
There are some things that we can do to help heal those wounds. And if not heal them completely, then at least begin to have them loosen the grip they have on our lives or on the people we love. And so I want to talk about this from a biblical perspective. I want to I want to talk about some tools for overcoming. And this is not comprehensive, but it has a lot of life in it. And so I want to just put some of these things up and then let us just kind of sit with this. And then I hope it helps us because I, I, I well, here's number one. First thing when it, when it comes to overcoming hurts, wounds of our past, whether those are self-inflicted wounds or wounds in the hands of another. One practice, this is practice surrendering our hurt to God. Now, Placing our wounds in the hands of the wounded healer. I, I realize this can so easily come across. That is like, that sounds like a, such a Christian cliche, doesn't it? You know, someone's hurting around us and we say to them, hey man, you know, just surrender your hurt to God. That'll do it. That's all you need to do. And if you've ever been hurting, and I have known hurt, or you struggled, Oh, you're wounded. You have someone just throw a phrase out like, just surrender your hurt to God. Not only does it seem to be somewhat insensitive, it can almost come across in its worst form as, as pharisaical. It's like, do you really, is, is that how really little you understand what I'm walking through? But let me say this. Surrendering our hurt to God is actually a hugely powerful mechanism for overcoming hurt. I looked at this and I was thinking to myself, I go, Lord, in 1 Peter 5, 7, this is what it says. It says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. He cares about you. So to, to surrender is at least in part to take our hurt, our guilt, our shame, our anger, and place it in his care, and essentially we are placing our cares in his care. I am placing my cares in your care. I, I am committing this to you. Figuratively, we are placing his, our, our, our hurts into his nail-scarred hands. We are allowing his wounds the, to bring us healing, for we are, he was wounded for us. Um, Wounded for our transgressions. And I know that talks about ultimately our sins and speaks of salvation. But it also is a reminder that God cares about our hurts and wounds as well. And that he was wounded also for us there. And I think about that and I say, Lord, you know, there are times where I, you know, maybe I visually just need to remember how much I am loved by you. And it's like even when Jesus came from the cross in his resurrection, he said, you see my hands. You see my, do you see my wounds for you? There is something about surrendering something, yielding something that can maybe it's something we're superly anxious about. It's like we can't shake it. Or it is just creating such a drag on us. Or it might have to do with something, again, that we've carried from our past and it just seems to like just sit there. Or it might have to do with the struggle we're having. And it is so hard. Or an, something we're angry about. We can't get it out of us. There's all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's because of deep shame and regret. We talked about this. I know David had that. What do you do? How do you change it? How do you make good? What do you do? How do you move forward? See, there's stuff like that. What is when we're really struggling? See, this is where we... You know one of the things I often will do 
Hey, this is, uh, and I know this is going to sound simple, but you know what? The Psalms, I'll say this about the Psalms. When you read them, they're like God's worship manual. They're the Psalms of Jesus, really. And they're filled with physicality. And, and so in the Psalms, you'll see, like, I lift my hands to you, Lord. Or see things like, I clap, we clap to the Lord. Or kneel and bow before the Lord, right? All of these postures. A lot of times I will find myself when I'm under extreme duress or I'm carrying something and I'm feeling really anxious and I'm going, and by the way, what, what I might struggle with for someone else might be like, what's wrong with you? That's nothing. But for me, it's a big deal. And for some of us, someone else might go, well, I, I, I don't see why that's such a big problem. But for us, it's a big issue because we're all wired different, right? And so, and we all have different experiences in our past. And so if certain things happen to someone else, it might go, oh, it's wrong. Come on, just like get over it. But for us, it's like, but, it, but you don't understand. It's like, I'm really hurting here. Or this is hard. And when you feel that weight, when you feel that pressure, to be able to say, Lord, and this is a lot of times I'll just do something. I'll do something as simple as this. I'll just take my hands and I'll just say, Lord, I just want to, I just want to open my, I just want to give you this, God. I, know, I don't think I'm supposed to be carrying this. I mean, it might be my responsibility, but the pressure and the weight I am, in, I am feeling, and to me it's more than just like a technique. I'm actually saying, Lord, I want to trust you with this. I, I, I think I'm holding too tight. I need to let this thing go. And then, Lord, I need to be open to what you want to do in me. I want to be open to receiving because an open hand receives. This doesn't. This does. And so I want to be open to receiving. And I think when we do that, a lot of times we'll find is that God, he's, he's wanting to move. You know, the goal of surrender, remember this, is, is to leave things with him. To entrust our situation whether it's despairing or discouraging or defining, whatever, to the one who loves us. And it means, listen to me, this is going to sound controversial, but it's going to mean that we are going to have to give God permission to help us. What? He doesn't need his, per, my, per, here's this, he actually, in a way he does. Because he decided he will not force himself upon us unwelcomed. Because that's not really love. See, you, basically, he waits to be wanted. And such is the humility of God that he is willing to allow himself to be rejected. That, to me, wow. And yet when we ask him, he longs to help us. Not because we deserved it, but because he delights to do it. He longs to help us. But we've got to declare our openness to entrust him with our concern. And um, sometimes that's just a little bit at a time. And I've even talked about it. Sometimes it requires practice. Trusting the Lord sometimes requires practice. We do have to keep applying it. It's like a second coat and a third coat. There are some situations that are so deeply dislodged in us that we may, re we may get that thing straightened out with the Lord and our heart is good. And then it starts coming back. Sort of like bleeding through the paint. And when that happens, you know, you have to apply. There are certain things that just have to continually be applied. That's the power of consistency and positioning ourselves in alignment with the Lord. The, the, there is something about practicing trust. And that's why there's a dailiness to this life with Jesus. This day, give me my bread. This daily bread of mine, Lord. Give me this day my daily bread. You know, there's that whole prayer is about a, there's a dailiness to it. So number one, 
Practice surrendering. Two. Here's another piece here. I look at this and I go, Lord, never let me forget this, that you can bring good out of anything, that God can use our hurt or our disappointment or our adversity for good. And you know what? I'm going to, if the Lord allows, this is where my, this is where my passion has been going into this, into this. I've been working and praying and preparing for months now for the New Year's series, which is called Growing Through Adversity. And I want to explore for weeks on it. In fact, it would be a fantastic series to consider bringing people who you love, who are hurting or having people who you care about, who you know are hurting or struggling or in their faith, having a hard time grasping why this is happening. This would be a fantastic series to have them hook into, even if they live somewhere else, to listen to us live or listen to the messages when they're going on, replaying them. But bringing somebody, here's the reason I say it, is because we're going to talk a lot about how God wants to take the adversity of our lives, the difficulty, the pain of it, the, the shame of it, the whatever of it, and shift it out into opportunity. Adversity is opportunity. It's opportunity for God to show himself strong on our behalf. But one of the things that we need to be aware of, and I don't want to just say it, is that God can bring good out of every bad. It's what he does. In the language of the scriptures, it, we mean he's redemptive. The ultimate example of his ability to turn a loss into a gain is the cross. No greater example of that. The entire gospel hinges on God's reclamation project. That's what he does. He reclaims things that are broken. He reclaims things that are asunder, that are torn apart, and he restores them in such a way the bruised reed he will not despise, the smoking flax he won't quench it. No, what he does is he has a way of reconfiguring things when he's allowed to. Not perfect. We don't have to even be perfect. We just have to be a little bit willing. Lord, help thou my unbelief. But that in and of itself is an expression of faith. And when all he needs is a little bit of room, the mustard, that's just a little bit. Turn to you, Lord, and he can turn. Look, it doesn't mean, it's not denial. It's not saying this is, this is good when it's not. But what it is saying is, it, I will not be defined by this. Because I have a God who has a track record of bringing good from the worst. And he can take a mess and make something come out of it that is beautiful. That's what he does. So when he's welcomed, so that means I don't ever have to look at my life and go, now I may have to wrestle with that. I may have a, we may have a hard time with that, but there is nothing that God cannot bring good from. I was telling my daughter, I said, look, remember, adverse, this has been my, I've been just saying this all over the place. Every, every adversity we face is an opportunity for some type of a breakthrough, for God to do something amazing and to grow us in a way we couldn't have envisioned. We can talk about this all day. Three, this one's connected to where we were last week. The idea of choosing not to retaliate. Now, choosing not to retaliate, I mean, you remember how we ended the overflow series. Alice Costanzo talked about Jesus. Right out of the, out of the gate, she brings up Jesus and, and the high bar that he set for us about forgiving our enemies, about, I mean, it's like hard. It's like hard. Sometimes I had a hard enough time forgiving people I love when they hurt me. How this so hard? Bless those who. That's what Jesus was talking about. Turn, I mean, we were sitting with all of that, right? The choice not to retaliate. The choice not to return. You know, a wound for wound. You hurt me, I hurt you back. The escalation that often occurs in relationships because 
honestly, the people who know us best can hurt us the most. Right in there. You know my weak spot. I, yeah. And here's the deal. Hurt people hurt people. And very hurt people hurt people very much. Which is one of the reasons why God wants to heal us. I think the Lord is not just concerned about getting us to heaven. I agree, life to come is the greatest gift. Life now and overflowing in Christ. No question. However, he cares about the quality of our life here, not in terms of our comfort as much as our effect. Are we going to be like him, a blesser? How do we bless if we're not moving into increasing dimensions of wholeness in our own lives? He whom the Son sets free, I hope I'm not just like creating something out of nowhere, is he whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. God designed us for dimensions of freedom. Here's the point. He, he really wants to teach us how to live above the wounds of life. And then I'll just piggyback right behind that and say, not only do we need to be careful a lot of times about responding back and escalating things, but God wants to walk in the way of peace as much as lies within us to be a peaceful people. As much as we can. Again, not denial, but not being defined by our wounds. Fourthly, though, it has to do with this idea of not allowing ourselves to just get embroiled in self-pity. Self-pity frequently wants to just... I'll tell you what. There were, and what, by this, I mean that some people retaliate. That by almost reactively, we retaliate. You heard me, I hurt you back. You heard me, I escalate you back. I go, it's, we're going at this. Why'd you do that? Because you hurt me. Now, some of us may not hurt, retaliate so quickly, and I'll, I'll connect this in a moment. We may not re retaliate so quickly. We might be passive retaliators. <laughs> I'll get you back. Or I'm going to keep it close, but you hurt me, and I'm not forgiving you. If you think this is passing, it is not passing. Some of us retaliate. We retaliate. We could spend time just talking about the different ways of retaliating and what Jesus has to say about that. But when it comes to self-pity, some of us don't retaliate. We're drawn into, into pity. Of our, we start feeling sorry. Maybe this is not the best. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. And then that sorrow defines us. And we walk around either angry or usually bitter. And you know where it shows up? Out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. I remember, now it's been a number of years, I remember years back, a man came to our church. And people often come. In his case, he hadn't really had a relationship with Jesus, but he, he was open and he was seeking and he was at a point in his life where he was just ready to, to move forward and accept Jesus into his life. And he wanted to make a change. But one of the things that I noticed in him as he, is I was listening to him and when he would talk, I still to this day remember it because his words were so caustic and tinged with cynicism and sarcasm and anger. And I came to realize fairly rapidly that he was going through a divorce. And he, was, he would say things like, and inevitable, it, it would come up. In every conversation, my ex, 
And the way he used it, it was almost like he was swearing, right? <laughs> I'm not joking. That's how I heard it. I was going, whoa, bro, wow, that's, that's intense, right? You know, she did, you know, X this, you know, I was going, I was listening. I, I couldn't recall someone who was just so, you know why he was, but it would come out. It was like a, it was like a, a wound. It was like, it's like pus. Just like, it would come out of him. It's like, that's, that's ugly. It's like ugly. It's just, he's all infected on the inside. His words are coming out of his words. I was like, and then one of the things that started happening in his life was as the Lord began to move in his life, he, he started getting better. And I noticed, I could, I noticed because he was serving in a ministry, so I, I had more contact with him. And I, I started to notice that his language was shifting. Now, in all fairness, he never became Mr. Joyful. I will say that. <laughs> but his words were a lot less hostile and bitter. And it reflected a transformation. Now, someone might say, this happens a lot of times. Someone will say to me, man, that person's not much of a, look, they're an example of Jesus. You Christian, I mean, Christians or someone, uh, uh, might be another follower of Jim, and say, they're a bad example. Look at that person's life. And I say, okay, well, okay. I can see your point, but let me point this out. Do you understand where they came from? Do you know how far they have grown from where they were? But even giving you the fact that we're making a proper assessment here, I go, it's possible that the, the amount of growth that has occurred in their life with the Lord is larger than what has happened in my life or your life. It just, it started at such a low deficit that it's made its way up. But it's just, it's like, you're, you, you know what? Let the Lord decide that. Let's be thankful for what's happening. Right? And then let's focus on our own heart with God and ask him to keep working with us because we have our own areas where we need some help too. Now, I say that because a lot of times with that tendency is, you know, again, is to feel sorry for ourselves. And I get that and all that. I do. God wants us to grow. Last thing I'll say about this, this hurt thing, is that, uh, and again, it was, a, it was a joy to watch him grow. Um, but, I think it's okay to live in the tension of God's goodness and unresolved questions. And again, part of this we are going to explore in depth in the coming year if the Lord allows us to. The why. The why. Something happened in our, my family's life a couple weeks ago. I, was at, I shared this at the Lake Merced campus because two weeks ago I was over there. I was hosting, and, and I think it was Pastor Lewis was here sharing. And um, it had to do with our, our, our family dog, Autumn, who is this, and really just it was in her, in her prime. Uh, I got a call from my wife. I mean, a text from my wife. I was in a meeting. I got a, it was in the evening. I got a call from my wife. It's kind of a text call, both. Just something's happened. You got to contact Aubrey. I, I, that's, our, that's our oldest daughter, who is now a senior in, in, in her university up near Sacramento called William Jessup University. And she's finishing up her, her soon to be her last semester. But while, okay, this is as fast as I can say it. Our oldest daughter, a few years back, had got our, our family dog, Autumn. She's in Ghana with her husband on a, on a teaching assignment. Our youngest daughter has been watching her 
for the last year or so and a half almost and has grown extraordinarily attached to her. So I get a call I, from Cheryl, get a, get a talk to Arby, I call her, I can't, I'm talking, I can't understand her. She, she's saying things, but I can't, she's so hysterical, I can't understand. The only thing I could hear was, Autumn's dead. And uh, what had happened was that the, the, uh, something happened, she, I don't know, happens, van hit, she ran out, the van hit her, the bumper falls off, Autumn barely is able to make her way back to the grass, and she dies. My daughter's crying, the car gets scared, it drives off. And then, so I, we, are, we are at night driving to be there. It's devastating at so many levels for us. Now I know not everyone has dog, I, I get that, and I don't even understand that. And, and I, I'm just say this about dogs. I know cats are okay too. I get that. I get I'm nothing. So the praise of a dog does not diminish the cat, just to be clear. But I will say this about dogs. They have an amazing way of making you feel loved. And when they're part of a family, in a way, they, they represent at some point not only a kind of protection security component to them, but also there's this kind of love and loyalty and unconditional kind of happiness that they bring into a life. And that's, that means a lot. And so when you lose that, it's devastating. And then the way it happened was devastating. And we get to the, to the uh, we get to the, I guess it's, it's not, it was, it was like an emer the emergency pet place. And we get there and we go into the room and it's awful, Autumn's there. Uh, it was about good, it was bad. And then, but I'm gonna say for this reason, so we're all sitting there. And one of the things my daughter says to me is, why, why, why did that one, why does this happen? Why did God, why did God allow, allow it to happen? It just comes up. Uh, first thing, we collect ourselves. Then we get a hold of our other kids in, in, in Ghana. We have a, this is what we do. This is how we move, this is for a reason I'm saying this. I say, well, this is what we're going to pray at the end of this. We're going to pray. We're going to, we're going to grieve this moment. We're going to mark it. We're going to let the Lord know our, our hurt in our heart and how, how hard this is for us. Then, after we did that, I said, now I want to also pray this. I want to pray gratitude. I want to say thank you, Lord, for the time that we had with this animal that we came to love and that brought us together in special ways. I want to thank you for the time we had to enjoy that and the love that we were able to share together. Okay. Grief, at least acknowledge it. Gratitude, thank you for what we've had. And grace for where we need to go. Okay, Lord, we welcome you into this situation. Now that principle can work as a, as a way of confronting loss in our lives. I know it was a very small, simple way, but I'll tell you what it did. It, it started the, the questions. So, okay, so I said, huh, now listen, I know the answers, and there were other things that were going on too. It was more complex than that. I said, look, let me tell you something about the Lord. This is what I've learned. I've learned never to push God away and make him my enemy, ever, ever because he is so for us. He's so for us. Why would I, at our lowest hurting moment, 
when something happens, something which we couldn't control, oh, if God was God, why? I said, this is not, let's get stuck in the why. Bad stuff happens, broken. We're going to talk about all that stuff. There's, there's things that happen. Sometimes we do it, sometimes others. Things happen, broken. This is what I do know. God loves us so much. He was willing to be broken for us. He loves us. He, and not only does he give himself away for us so that we might have life, he makes himself completely available in this life for us exactly in those moments. Why would I ever push him away? No, I'm going to bring you right in, Lord, into all the questions, all the hurt, all the pain, right there. Walk with me. God, I also believe something else. You can bring, and I've been praying into this one, you can bring good out of every adversity. And everything that looks bad is an opportunity for you to show yourself in an amazing way present. And who can say all the good you want to be able to bring from what is obviously a very painful, awful thing. This is what I want to do. I want to honor your goodness. There's no denying it. You've given everything. You give yourself to me now. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do right now, even now, want to ask you to just be present among us. There are things that we face sometimes that they're not easy. But you are able to bring good from them. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to your purposes. As we align ourselves with you, we create possibilities that would not be present otherwise. Thank you for that. If there are areas of woundedness that we are having a hard time healing, Lord, I ask that you would get into that infected place by your Holy Spirit, even now, Lord. Perhaps some of us even say with our hand op hands open before you, Lord, let your grace flow through me. I, I want to relinquish these things that, I'm, that are holding on to me or I'm holding on to and just allow for your healing presence to come into my life in deep ways. Small ways, little ways, but ways that bring great movement. So I just thank you, Lord. You're the one that ultimately we can rely upon. We welcome you in. We don't push you away. No, in the question places, some questions never answered to our satisfaction on this side. That's okay, Lord. We know this. You've given yourself. And you are the ultimate answer to why. It's your love, your unconquerable, unquenchable love, and the promise of your presence that is more true than the day that follows night. I ask that you would just let your words settle into our hearts, even now as we prepare to close this service, God. And bless our time of giving and honoring you, and bless this song. May it be the closing prayer of affirmation about who you are. We just ask this together. In Jesus' name, amen.